This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show on this Monday, uh, July 24th. Uh, a couple days after Pac-12 Media Day, a couple days before Oregon's Media Day, or actually about a week, exactly a week to the day, um, fall camp starting relatively shortly after that. I think we can say the date, August August 2nd. Let's do it. I think we should, re- I think it's time. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, first practice for the Ducks, August 2nd. Uh, we will be there. Uh, Media Day is set for the 31st for Oregon. We will also be there. We better be there. That's our jobs. We would be in trouble if we were not. Uh, but today, our jobs is to uh, open up the mailbag. Uh, and look, we talked about this off-air, Eric. Uh, the questions are getting mm-hmm. – we're not trying to say this in like a mean way, but they're just getting more engaged. They're better. They're more thought out because it's football season. It's, it's like literally right around the corner. We can, we're making the bend. We can see the tunnel. We're almost there. Yeah, I was going to say, I was just probably um... – Full disclosure, the way this usually works, I put the prompt up on a Sunday, wake up first thing Monday morning, kind of take a look, and, and we kind of come together and figure out what questions make the most sense. And I thought this was the best batch we've had in a while. And it's also, I think, the first mailbag, at least that I've done since I was looking back since June 4th. So um, happy to be doing another one of these for the first time in like six weeks. Um, I think you, <laughs> you, you, you and Jared did one, I think, while I was on vacation as well. Yeah. So I know it's not the, the show's first, but it's my first in a while. So I'm excited to get into this. We've got four good questions here, all football. We're, we're as Matt said, zoning in on fall camp. So um, let's get ready to go. All right, should I start? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> all right, first question yeah. from at UO Life eight four four five seven. Again, lots of numbers here. Uh, gosh, that can't be a birthday. I was going to say maybe it was some some birthday in August of fifty seven, but that doesn't. There's not forty four days in that month, so that can't be right. Anyway, his question, most underrated position group on the team or position group that will surprise this season? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Thanks for using the hashtag. I believe all of our question askers used it. That really is helpful for finding it um, when we're going through this. So um, I'm going to start here and I'll be curious. We, we haven't discussed your answer, Matt. I'm curious if we'll have the same one. But for me, it was pretty simple. Um, I think it's the defensive line is the group that is maybe not being talked about maybe as much. Um, and maybe a group that will surprise in part because I think people are kind of down on the defense as a whole last season. I think it would be weird to pick an offensive position here because, like, <clears throat> I think across the board, maybe with the exception of tight end or offensive line where you're replacing a lot, like, we, we know those groups are going to be good. Like, we know Oregon's right. going to have good quarterback, good skill position players at running back and receiver. Um, but on defense, I don't know if there's quite as much optimism. Um, we spoke even down in, in Pacto Media today, and I know part of it is that one of the players there was a linebacker. We didn't, defensive line really didn't come up. Um, and I think it's a position that probably should be discussed more. And, and kind of here's my pitch. Um, Oregon re- returns five players who have played at least four years. Um, that would be Brandon Dorless, Popo Amavai, uh, Taki Taiwami, uh, Casey Rogers, and Keon Ward Hudson. 
those players have all not only played a lot, but they've, they've started a lot too. I mean, Dorless has 27 career starts. Taimani has 14. Uh, all those were at, at Washington, we should note. Uh, Rogers has 13 and Amavai has 13 and, and Karen where Hudson made his first start, I think last year, or the year before. So like, these are guys that are experienced. And remember, these are all, I'm only talking interior linemen here. These are, these are basically five guys who play those three spots with a hand down, not even getting into the outside spots where you have a Mace Funa who's experienced. You have a Jordan Birch. I just think those guys, I think collectively, and Casey Rogers talked about it a little bit in the spring. I know their play wasn't always awesome last year, but like, was pretty darn good, and they bring back Popo, who I think sneakily was was one of the team's better offense or sorry defensive linemen for uh, at least in twenty one, which was kind of his breakout season. So I think that's a group that isn't maybe getting as much pub that I think maybe it's time to start talking about. And I know once we get into fall camp, it will be a, a, a focal point, but um, I don't know. That that was my pick, Matt. Did you did you agree or do you have a different one? I actually think that's a really good pick. Um, your experience that you brought up is. A big thing there um i like that and they're all all these guys are either uber established three-star players like dorless was a three-star recruit yeah um he's better he's proven <laughs> to be much better than that though yes and that was my point like he's proven to be much better than a three-star recruit and that's the same thing with casey rogers um i think taki tamani and and popo were four stars i believe Taki um, was Taki was for sure, and so was where Hudson. I I can't remember what Popo's. I'll look it up. And and then you know, Shipley was a three star. But then you look at the group behind those players, like the the newcomers to the group: Bowens, Terrence Green, Mikhail Gardner, Amari Washington, Tavita Pome. Um, you've got a lot of four stars mixed in there too. So not only is their experience. The back end of the of the of the group, the freshmen, the newcomers, those guys are unproven, but are were highly regarded coming out of high school. So, I I like your 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 pick there on the defense the defensive line in particular. Um, my only concern would be like a lot of these guys were back from last season, and whether it's their job to get to the quarterback or it's it's the Jack's job or the linebacker's job to get to the quarterback. Like they were, they were, Oregon was good against the run, but then they also had that game against Oregon State, which was just embarrassing. I, I don't even and know what then, to do with that, with that game. It's so weird, Matt. It's such a yes. weird game. But I, I kind of look at it as like, yeah, they're all experienced. They're all great, you know, individually, you know, but there were some blemishes on, on the 2020 season. And all these guys, except for Popo, were. You know, key pieces to the team. Popo was hurt. Um, he was supposed to be a piece. So it that's my only caveat. I I I do like your pick. I, I, I like your pick probably more than I like mine. And I'm um I'm only going with this one just because I want to be different and present a, a different discussion point. That's the offensive line. Um so much has been made about you know the departure of four starters. Um the experience that those guys had, uh, I think they're all on an NFL roster, whether they were drafted or signed as an undrafted free agent. So it's not like you know, you're seeing guys that are you know, talented players. But I look at this group and say, okay, well, they've added three players via the transfer portal who were starters at their previous school. Uh, a Johnny Cornelius at Rhode Island, one of the best offensive line portal players this offseason 
Junior Engelau. Now he missed last season because of a knee injury, but he started the last, you know, the couple, the two or three previous seasons before that. Um, and then they made an addition post spring football in, in Nishad Strother from Eastern Carolina. Um, a, a three year starter, if I remember correctly. So they've, they've added three guys with starting experience. Stephen Jones is back, who is in his sixth year of football, has started more than a handful of games. I don't know his stats off the top of my head, but I want to say it's like near 20 um, in his career for the Ducks. Jackson Powers Johnson's got a, a handful of starts, and then Marcus Harper last season started seven or eight games. And now we're just getting to Josh Connerly Jr., the five-star who played in every game last season for Oregon off the bench who's maybe the most talented of this entire group. Um, I, I think the offensive line could have some bumps in the road the first month of the season, but once they kind of get themselves positioned and they kind of get the, you know, they feel out what works, what doesn't work, who works where best. I think this unit could skyrocket up in production. And by the end of the year, we're talking about, wow, like they're only going to lose, Stephen Jones to graduation and, and maybe Junior Angelau to, to, to graduation as well. Um, this could be a unit that could maybe be in line for the best in the country in 2024. Now that's a big leap to make, but you know, yeah, just look is. at the, the pieces that are that are back, you know, th that have extra years of eligibility. Um, I, I, I think this offensive line is gonna be one at the end of the year that we're gonna say, wow, they were a lot better than expected. And you know, they've got a lot of experience, just like you talked about, even though it's, it's not, not it's experience not at necessarily at Oregon. Right. No, I, I think that's – I looked it up. Stephen Jones, 17 career starts. That's that's a good amount. That's Again, that puts you right in the kind of the heart of what I have in the defensive line in terms of experience. Um, I was also told it's Junior Angelau by Nate Cooper. Angelau. Yeah, so we have to – Angelau. And, and, the, and there's a couple other ones that he informed me on that I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm remembering. I know Connor Su Sueli, however Dan pronounced it is right. I, I just can't remember how, how he pronounced it. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's another really good pick. I mean, I think the trenches is always really important. Oregon fans know that from who was the previous head coach here. Um, and along the offensive line, I'm with Matt. I, I've long been kind of drumming the, hey, this is a group that, doesn't have much experience at Oregon, as Matt said. They're replacing essentially four starters from last year, um, you know, with with a couple of guys there that were really, really good key pieces for a long time. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think Alex Forsythe is is one of the better offensive linemen, just in terms of a leadership perspective. We've seen come through here, and it's going to take some time, like we've talked about before, for for Jackson. We assume that'll probably be who, who fills in at center um, to kind of get his feet under him, but. Yeah, no, I think it's a good group, and it's also a group with quite a bit of depth. Like, we're still not sure exactly, like, how does the Angelau, Harper, um, uh, Strother group fit in, if, assuming JPJ is the center, and Stephen Jones, we can throw him in there. Like, the guard positions seem kind of up in the air, and the good news is, is whoever ends up winning those jobs will be guys that have started before at this level. So, yeah, and I think those are good picks. I'll be curious to hear from listeners if there are other positions that they feel strongly about as as options here too but i thought defensively i thought the d-line was pretty clearly the best pick and then offensively i think o-line and you you have to get kind of creative to make a case for the tight end position but you could maybe say that there's just not a lot of confidence and that terrence ferguson's going to be really good and it's all going to be short up but yeah i'd probably pick offensive line too all right uh, oh and popo amavai uh three-star recruit at high school three-star recruit i thought he was well, at one point maybe 
it was really close. Uh, yeah. He was, yeah. The the composite was like probably he's like very very close to being a low four star. Okay, next question from at K three L L three R probably at Keller. Do you expect any freshmen on the defense defensive line to get a start this year, or defense in general? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. I don't. Um, especially along the defensive line. I know there's a ton of guys there. Um, and I guess if we're including Mateo as a defensive lineman, as an, more of an edge player, and maybe, and, and I think that would be something to see in fall. If, if, does he put his hand down? Like, what's his versatility? Maybe he would have a shot. But, man, I just ran through it. There's a lot of guys that are going to be ahead of these true freshmen on the roster. And it would be incredible if these true freshmen are just better than a lot of these names. Um but teenagers typically aren't going to be more physically developed, especially on the trenches, to outplay guys who are – I mean, like, Amavai is probably 24, 23. Um, Taimani and Rogers and Dorlis are all 22, 23 probably as well. So I just think you're you're probably kind of setting yourself and your expectations up for a letdown if you think a bunch of these true freshmen are going to play a ton over these veteran guys. I looked at this last year's class as a huge success and a huge win for for 24 and beyond, not as much for 23. I think that can actually be a kind of a good thing um, because you give these guys a lot of them will probably redshirt, which saves you some time. I know with the portal that that doesn't really matter as much, but a year hopefully spent in understanding that it's going to be development under a bunch of veteran guys, I think can be really beneficial. And then again, as you look up in, in 24, like Amavai is gone. Uh, Rogers is gone. I think Taimani's eligibility runs out. Dorless's uh, eligibility runs out. I think where Hudson is the only one of those guys who's for sure, has eligibility and he could, well, I shouldn't say for sure, but he, he seems likely to want to use it in 24. Like you could see a bunch of the guys that we're going to be talking about uh, in this 23 class be starters or, or pushing to start in 24. But I just think that's, I think we're a year early for that. Um, do you agree, Matt? Or do you have a guy or two that you really think are, are going to start? And one thing I wanted to say before we even get into that, Oregon started zero freshmen last year. Yes. So it's not like there's a track record of that happening under Dan, at least not yet. I, I think first my question becomes, okay, do we count the Jack position um, as a defensive lineman? Right. That was the question I asked because, before. Because if we do, then maybe Birch gets a game where maybe he gets nicked up. Maybe he gets a targeting call or something and he can't he can't play the, the first half of, of a game or maybe it's against a – a Hawaii or Portland state, maybe he suffers some kind of fall camp thing where it's like, Hey, like we don't need him the first week of the season. Sure. Just keep him healthy for Texas tech. And that enters the door for Mateo to maybe get into the mix um, at the Jack position. Um, or maybe uh, a Tatum to I don't know. Or maybe a Blake purchase. I don't know. Um, but grand scheme of things. No. I don't, I don't think any freshmen start along the defensive line. And if it is, it's because there's going to be a guy that just very quickly accelerates his skill set and explodes onto the scene. And there's not a, there really isn't a player out there that you can like point to that say, Hey, hey like we definitively think this guy's got an opportunity to, to, to push his way into the starting lineup. It would be a massive surprise if, a Bowens or a Green or a Washington uh, or a Gardner um, push their way into the starting lineup or uh, Tavita Pome. Um, 
I, I just don't think like you said it best. Like the 2023 recruiting class was a success for the 2024 season and beyond. And that's not to say that these guys aren't going to be good football players. It's just the path just isn't there. And that's kind of what you want. Um, you want these freshmen to arrive where there really isn't a clear cut path to play. And if one or two of these guys do emerge where it's like, Hey, we got to get them on the field. We can't, we can't keep him off the bench. That's only a, a positive thing. What you don't want, if you're a program like Oregon, where you're trying to get to the college football playoff, you're trying to win a conference championship, you're trying to make the national championship game and to win it, you don't want a clear-cut path at a position group for a true freshman to show up and just instantly you just say, like, he's playing, he's starting, he has to play. Because that means the position group he's joining isn't good. You know, it's okay for a true freshman to, to earn a starting spot. That's totally fine. But you don't want a situation where it's just automatic that a guy, you know, is a true freshman and he's pretty much got the starting job locked up. He just doesn't have to lose it during fall camp. You don't want that situation because that means your position group isn't very good. Oregon has elevated itself as a program to where it used to be like, you better, you know, if you're a five star and you're coming to Oregon, you better be playing right away because. You, you should be that much better than everybody else. Oregon's roster is better now, and that's not the case. You'll you'll get true freshmen every now and then, but uh, you've got to you've basically got to be a, a caliber of a Justin Herbert or a Penae Sewell to start, or Kayvon Thibodeau to start as a true freshman, which basically means you got to be a top ten NFL draft pick or or you know future first round draft pick on this roster to play. And I just don't think they have a true freshman that fits that criteria right now. Well and, and here's the other thing. Last year they did. They had Josh Connerly. And guess what? He didn't start a single game because Oregon brought back a lot of veterans on its offensive line, much like they bring back a lot of veterans on their defensive line. So I'm not down at all on Oregon's defensive line group. I'm, like, really excited to watch them. And, in fact, like, when fall camp kicks off here in a week or so, um, 10 days, I think, I, that's going to be one of the groups I'm watching the most, assuming we get some access to watch them. Right. Um, to the second part, um, other guys, you mentioned Mateo. I agree. He's probably the number one name here. I think Cole Martin, based on spring, is another one to throw in here. And I, I guess if I was going to pick somebody else, I'd, I'd toss in one of the true freshman corners that just arrived with uh, uh, Pleasant. Austin or Pleasant. Yeah, one of those two maybe. But I, I wouldn't be stunned at all if, if it's another year where none of these guys start. And if they do start, it's like a spot start here or there. Matt kind of outlined, like, maybe there's a targeting call that – pushes a guy into a starting lineup for, for, for a game where they had a player suspended for that first half. But I, I don't see like a super, super clear path here. And again, maybe I'm over reading or reading too much, I should say into last year, but like the little history we have with Dan and, and first year players is he's been a little bit more cautious at least, or at least the, the result has been true freshmen haven't started. And really even last year, true freshmen didn't play a lot. There was about five guys who avoided redshirt years and only a couple of them were really you know, guys who played eight or eight or more games. So, um, yeah, I would lean probably nobody gets a start, and if they do, it's one of those two guys in a spot a spot start situation. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be a it's going to be hard pressed uh, to see a freshman um, move into the starting lineup. I think on either side of the football, um, there really isn't an offensive lineman's position. There really isn't a, a receiver opportunity. Um, for a freshman to show up and, and start. 
Um, maybe jury on Dickey on the offensive side of the football. If a Hudson or a Tez Johnson or Treshawn Holden or a Gary Bryant Jr. Just don't a lot of guys. work out. There's a lot of guys. Yeah, that's just a lot of that's a lot of scenarios where it just doesn't work out. Um, I think I yeah, think Kenyon Sadiq at tight end is probably the only other one to just acknowledge because it's a shallow position group. But yes, I would be surprised if he's ahead of more than a, cu- a couple of those guys because they're so much more experienced. Yep, yep, yeah. I mean, I I think here's here's a question, real quick, Eric. Uh, I give you Kenyon Sadiq and Mateo. Or you get every other freshman on the team to start one game. Which one are you picking? Yeah, I'd probably take Mateo and Sadiq just because I think those are the most – those are the – two of, by the way, two of your best players in this class at two of the most shallow position groups, on, at least how I perceive right now to be two of the most shallow position groups. Like tight end, I think everybody understands, lost a lot. He has a real chance to, to play quite a bit there. I don't know if he'll start though because – Ferguson's the undoubted starter. If they go two tight ends, I'm going to guess. I mean, maybe there'll be a, a certain package where they want to f- kind of flank him out there. But um, again, even if he's playing kind of more of a receiver position, like he's going to be competing with like a Treshawn Holden for for snaps and that right. kind of a role. So, yeah. And then like we've already talked about the the edge position. That is outside of Jordan Birch and Mace Funa, there's not a whole lot that's been kind of proven there. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I still take those two, but not feel great about – yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to be surprised at all if there's like close to no starts by this freshman class this year. And again, yes. that's not a bad thing at all. That speaks to the fact that I think there's quite a bit of established talent ahead of them. Uh, and that's what I would have picked as well. If I had to pick one of the, the two options, um, I would have picked Mateo or um, Kenyon Sadiq. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will finish up the second half of the mailbag. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Matt Premier, Scopo on the show. Two questions in, a couple more to go. All right. Third question from at Wes underscore Mantooth1. Great name. How do you see Kyler Casper's role playing at? I was at the spring game and he has great size slash hands. Hope to see him play, get playing time. And it kind of speaks to what we were just talking about a moment ago with Jurian Dickey at receiver, right? You know, I know, I know Casper's a yep. redshirt freshman. He's been here a year longer, but I, I think there's, it's going to be tough for a lot of these guys who don't have proven experience, I think, to, 
to leap up the depth chart over some of these guys. Now, I think I love Casper's. A lot of the things that he's talking about that Wes mentioned here are, are things I love about Casper too. I mean, I think his physical upside is is through the roof. Tall, rangy. He just looks like a big time receiver in terms of his body type. Um, I've also been impressed. Got great hands, like we've mentioned here. He's great around the red zone. He can jump. I think more than people want to give him credit for. So I think the upside there down the line is super high. But I'm not sold that the upside really comes to play too much this fall, as, as much as I want to be optimistic about it. But and again, it's not because I don't like the player. I really like the player. It's because I think there's a lot of pretty darn good receivers in Oregon, whether it was because they weren't confident or sold on some of the younger guys, or if it was just because like, hey, let's just maximize our year with Bo, or, or if it was just in general, let's just bring in as many good receivers as possible, went out and added a lot of really highly regarded receivers who, frankly, we're probably going to jump ahead of Casper pretty quickly here, right? I think everybody expects Tez Johnson, Gary Bryant, and, and Trayshawn Holden to be ahead of Kyler Casper. Uh, I would anticipate Jurion Dickey by the end of fall camp probably is ahead of, of Kyler Casper. So if those guys are ahead of you, plus Chris Hudson and Troy Franklin, well, that's like six guys, you know? That's not that's not really op- creating a lot of opportunity. So like, I think Casper is probably at best maybe like the fifth best receiver on this roster. And at worst, he could be maybe seventh. So um, I don't see a huge role there, but injuries happen. And I think if, if he is put into a situation where he has to play, I'm not going to be – I'm confident he'll be productive. Like, I think he's a good player. I just don't know if there's a much of a role there. Yeah, I, I just I, – I, I think if Kyle Casper plays in 2023, it, it's going to be, you know, like he's going to get like – 15 offensive snaps or something like that per game. You know, it's it's not going to yeah. be a lot just because you re- you referenced it when we mentioned Jerry on Dickey. Like, he's competing with Dickey to compete over guys like Tez Johnson, Gary Bryant Jr., Chris Hudson, Treshawn Holden. Josh Delgado played a lot a couple years ago. Now he's been hurt the last season and a half. Right. That's another guy that's got experience. And then on top of that, you've got to factor in, well, what's the tight end situation look like? Does Will Stein want to employ multiple um, tight end form, you know, sets where Terrence Ferguson and Kenyon Sadiq or Terrence Ferguson and Patrick Herbert or Terrence Ferguson and Casey Kelly are on the field at the same time? Um, do we see what they did with offensive linemen last year where sometimes they had six offensive linemen on the football field, which takes a spot away from Kyle Casper because it's a receiver's position. Um, there's only so many – Spots you can play. Everybody can't play every position. Everybody can't play every down. And unfortunately, there's going to be guys like the Dreon Dickies and the question, the guy that was asking the question, Kyle Casper, that it's just going to be hard to get on the field. And if you get on the field with the group that they've got of Troy Franklin, Tez, Chris Hudson, Gary Bryant, Treshawn Holden, it means you're, pro- you're probably pretty good. Um, I, I would be surprised if Kyle Casper finishes the year with – one to two to three touchdowns. Maybe he catches 20 balls, you know, over a course of, of 12, 13, 14 games. You know, that's about one catch a game, one and a half catches a game. Maybe it's 10 to 15 um, catches. But I also wouldn't be surprised if he finishes the year with seven catches for 19, you know, 94 yards and a touchdown. Like, yeah, that, that, both of those are, are very possible. It, a lot of this depends upon what Oregon does against teams like Portland State and Hawaii and Stanford and Cal, you know, these, some of these lower-level teams that they're going to play, Colorado. Um, 
can they blow these teams out and present an opportunity for the backups to get in and, and play and have an opportunity to make plays? Yeah, bear with me for a second here. My computer's being a little slow. I'm trying to pull up the snap counts from last year at receiver just to get people an idea of kind of like what somebody who was in the fifth to seventh receiver role. And I know it's not all even, you know, in terms of how that plays out, but I just want to give people kind of a sense of what what that looked like last year here. I'm trying to pull up the snap counts. Um, all right, let's see if we got this. Yeah. Yeah, so, so if you get down here and you're looking at, once you get through the the Franklin, the Thornton, the Coda, the Hudson group, and let's get down to like receiver five or six. Um, I think Seven McGee's kind of hard because he left midseason, so maybe that's not fair. But like Crocker, Delgado, Chapman, that was like your, your five through eight group. Those guys all played less than like 65 snaps last year. Um, so again, I don't want to make it sound like there's no chance that Casper plays a lot, and, and maybe it'll be a spot where they just go, man, like he's so good, he has to play more. But um, I, it, it, Casper played 35 snaps last year. It, that was actually more than some of the guys I just mentioned. I, I would be surprised, I guess, if if he plays like more than 100 plus snaps based upon the way the receiver breakdown went last year and with the additions they've made. So I hope we're wrong, and I hope he's in a situation where where he's able to to show more because I'm a big fan of the player, but I, I I'm just a little bit skeptical that there's like a massive role waiting Kyle Casper this year. All yeah. right. I, I just hope people aren't, you know, and uh, a, I hope people don't look at him if he doesn't produce and say he's a bust because this is his second year. He just hasn't had an opportunity to play yet. And B you hope this is one in which, you know, the kid keeps his head down and understands that, you know, his first two seasons, it was going to be really hard for him to play. And next year, that could be a totally different case because you could look at it and see Troy Franklin, Ted Johnson, Chris Hudson, Trey Sean Holden all gone from the roster after this upcoming season. Yeah, it's it's kind of the same pitch we made earlier about a couple of those guys on defense where it's like this yes. isn't your year, and, and, and but next year could very well be a season where there's a lot more opportunity. All right, let's finish it up with a question from, I think this is a new uh, question asker. So appreciate you chiming in here at Adrian Duck Eleven. What has to happen in your eyes for this season to be considered a letdown? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, I've made mine pretty simple here. I think if they fail to make the Pac-12 title game for a second straight year, it's a letdown. Um, I know a lot of Oregon fans aren't huge Mario Cristobal fans anymore, but you have to acknowledge that Mario's last three years at Oregon, they made the conference championship every year. They won the first two. The third they lost to Utah was probably one of the most disappointing results in recent history from Oregon. So I'm not, I'm not going to try to you know push that away like it didn't happen. But they made the game. And I know the conference is more competitive right now than it's ever been. Matt and I talked about that a lot on our podcast when we were down in uh, Las Vegas, just about the, the poll and why Oregon's number four. But I, I just think if it's consecutive years where you're not even playing for the conference championship, especially with an, a veteran quarterback like Bo Nix, that's really concerning for me in part because I think this team is talented enough to win the conference. I predicted they win 11 games this year. Maybe I have too much skin in the game. But also because I think if they were to fail to do it this year, they would set themselves up for a, 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 put a lot of pressure on their shoulders in 24. If this is, again, considered a season that's a letdown, I know for a lot of people last year was considered a letdown. We can argue that. But 
I think undoubtedly if they win nine or 10 games and don't play in the conference championship game, that's going to be considered a letdown. And you go into 24 and there's no Knicks. The quarterback situation is very much unclear. We've already talked about it. You're losing a ton on defense, on the defensive line. You're losing most of your secondary, which, again, we're not sure how good it's going to be, but a lot of the guys that they have are older players. Um, you'll be losing potentially most of your receiving core. You could lose one or both of your running backs. So there's a lot that you could be turning over. And so if 23 doesn't go very well, and again, I think conference championship game seems like kind of the minimum expectation, that's going to put a lot of pressure on, on Dan Landing and his staff I think to turn things around and make sure 24 is successful. I think just inherently most people would look at 24 and say, that's going to be a tougher season than 2023, even without the LA schools in the conference. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, sorry about that. Yeah. I, I've gone back and forth on this question because the, the league is as good as it's ever been. Yes. And I don't think um, – I don't expect – or it would be a really disappointment if there's a game – if there's a game. It doesn't matter if it's two, three. It just has to be one that they're not competitive in. Mm. Where, yeah. like, they get blown out like they did twice against Utah in 2021. Um, or they get blown out like they did against Georgia um, – week one of the football season last year. Like they weren't competitive in those three games. No. Um, I would be really disappointed and would view it as a disappointment if this was a team that got blown out and they weren't competitive. Even if they went 11 and one or 12 and one in the season and they weren't competitive in one game, because if they were 12 and one, let's say they win the conference and they go 12-1, and one, but that USC game in November at home, they just get destroyed by USC. And the Trojans beat them 56-17. to 17. It's not even close. That probably keeps them out of the college football playoff. Yeah, I would and think so. And it'd be like, if you guys could have just been competitive and that one loss that you have, you're in the playoffs. Because at 12-1, and one, you're conference champ, you, you get in. But when do we see a team – make the college football playoff who had a game where they were just absolutely destroyed in the regular season. They had no chance to win early on. Has that happened? Oh, I'd have to think back. Think of it. I, there might've been, I don't know. Um, listeners are probably, but, it, it. The, but if yeah. it has, the number is probably really, really small. Yeah. No, um, I, that's, that's a good point. So that would be the case for a 12 and one or an 11 and one season. Like you, you cost yourself a, a deal by not being competitive in one game. That's a disappointment. Um, it, but because the league is going to be so good, I think if they lose two or three games in the regular season, maybe they lose at Texas Tech and they lose two conference games both on the road and you know they lose by a field goal, one's a game winner or something like that. Like, I think I could look at it and say, like, it's not the season that you, you, you hoped for, but if you look across the conference, the, the league finished strong. It's got three teams in the top 10. It's got a team that made the college football playoff, or it's got a team. It's got two teams in the New Year's Six Bowl games. Like, I could tell myself, hey, the league is really good. They won at home. They just lost to two other teams that are in the New Year's Six on the road. Like, that's going to happen. You're not going to be perfect every single season. I wouldn't be happy about it if I was a Duck fan, but I also wouldn't call it a disappointment. Um, so I, I guess my answer is kind of a little confusing, but 
as long as they're competitive in every single game, and as long as you know that if you lost to a team and they're in the New Year's Six and you're just on the outside, you're that next team in, I'm, I'm kind of okay with it. You know, but if you get to that point where it's three or four or five losses and you're not even in contention for the conference championship or you're not in contention for uh, an elite bowl game, then it's viewed as a disappointment. I, I would be totally fine if Oregon went 10-2 and two in the regular season. They lose at Utah and they lose at Washington and they finish the year ninth in the country, but they don't get to – the Rose Bowl, or they don't get to the you know they're at large New Year's Six bowl game. Like, hey, you lost two to, to in Washington and Utah. Let's say they you know one of those two teams wins the league and the other one goes to a New Year's Six. It's like you lost the two elite teams. That's gonna happen. You're still an elite team. You're, you're just in a league this year where it's elite and it's special. That I wouldn't view that as a as a negative season. But if you go nine and three and you go back to the Holiday Bowl, that's a disappointment. I think another way to look at it, and I think good points, Matt, is the rivalry games with Oregon State and Washington. The fact that they lost both those last Yeah, you got to win those. You can't lose both. You definitely can't yeah. lose both. And you probably – it would really be great if you could win both of them. I mean, Mario Cristobal, I was just making sure I had the figures right, went 6-1 went and one against Oregon State and Washington. The one loss coming up in Corvallis on that crazy end of game scenario in, uh, during the COVID season that was <laughs> – Oregon's last the last two up in Corvallis and just – flummoxing fashion but regardless like you got to start winning these rivalry games especially when Washington and Oregon State are also competing for conference championships you know like it 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 matters I think even a little bit more um, obviously both those programs it means they're healthier but you don't want to be the team that loses to your rival the last week of the regular season and that sends them to the conference championship over you that's not an outcome that you want to get comfortable with and I know the fan base a lot of there's 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 fans that would say Shoot, we'd go two and ten. I know this is hyperbolic, but yes. if we beat the two rivals and we beat them soundly, that's a successful year because you know, as a for the fan base, there's going to be a lot of chatter from both the Beaver fans and the Husky fans because they think they have Oregon's number right now. I think it's you don't want to give them more fodder because, again, I think 24 is going to be a, a potentially a tougher season. You'd hate to go into that season going if you're Dan Lanning. We're zero and four against our rivals. Like you can't start zero and six even if you're winning ten games a year. There's going to be problems. Yeah, I, I'm I'm on board. Like, got to beat one of those rivals, and it would probably help a little bit if the Ducks went nine and three this season and weren't in contention for the conference championship. But both both games against rivals were, were victories. Like that would, that would help with the sting a little bit. That would show progress, even though they had fewer wins than the year before you could point. Yeah. But it was only by one and they beat their two rivals who beat them last year. And one of them was at, at on the road at Washington. And one of them was at home against Oregon state. So um, yeah, like that would be a caveat there is if, if you could beat both your rivals, if, and if you can't beat both, you got to win one. That's, that's that's a that's a good requirement, Eric. You gotta beat one of your two rivals. You you have to. Yeah. So for me, I just I'll, I'll sum it up. I'll combine them. Got to make the conference championship game, and you got to beat at least one of your rivals to get there. And I think pretty clearly, if you make the conference championship game, you're probably doing that. I guess there's a weird path where you lose both of those, are, and those are your only two losses. But 
I, I think it's imperative you have some success in these rivalry games. And again, I also think it's imperative that you, you make it, you give yourself a chance to win the conference at the very least. All right. That's going to do it for us here on the Autzen Audible's podcast. Thank you for sending in your questions. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll talk to you down the road as we get closer and closer to Oregon opening up training camp ahead of the 2023 football season. Talk to you later, folks.